Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We pray the Lord speaks to you as you hear His Word today. I want to say welcome to you who are part of the Bible Center family. Thank you for being with us in person. Also want to say thank you to those who are joining us online or on TV. Uh, thank you for being a part of our service today. It is so great uh, to have you with us. You'll notice beside me that I've got a candle, and I'm going to say more about that at the end of the message. I hope you would do enjoy the candle, um, but it actually has a lot to do with what I'm talking about today, and so I'll, I'll uh, let you know what that's about later on. Speaking of candles and speaking of lights, I want to ask how many of you already have your Christmas lights out? How many of you in person have either Christmas lights inside or outside? Would you raise your hand? All right, a lot of us have Christmas lights. If you're watching this online or on TV, if you would comment right there in our, uh, on our chat, give us a picture maybe even of your house. If you have Christmas lights at your house, we would love to see those. But I was this week going back through some old photos, and I found a picture of my dad and me actually putting up our Christmas lights at our house. So I wanted to show you this picture, my dad and me putting up our Christmas lights uh, those of you who are familiar with that, you know that's actually not my dad and me. That's Clark and Russ, but my dad and I did laugh at that movie a lot together. But there's a number of places with Christmas lights around our community that I would encourage you to check out. I grew up a lot going to St. Albans Festival of Lights. I grew up in St. Albans, was born in Charleston, but grew up in St. Albans, and uh, they're on again this year. Another place to check out would be up in Wheeling, Ogle Bay Park, a beautiful place to check out Christmas lights. And then, of course, there's our very own Greenbrier. If you've not driven through the Greenbrier or visited the Greenbrier uh, at Christmas time, it's a beautiful place to be. But one of the first indications of the Christmas season is the appearance of Christmas lights. There's lights on trees, lights and candles and windows. There's radiance everywhere. Now, part of that reason, of course, is that December 25th is almost the darkest day of the year. It gets within several days of being the actual darkest day of the year in our hemisphere. But at Christmas, it seems that everything is decorated in light. But Christmas lights aren't just decorative, they're also symbolic. And so this is a guiding thought that I want you to think about today as I go through this message. Christmas lights remind us that Jesus is the light of the world. Christmas lights remind us that Jesus is the light of the world. When you see Christmas lights this season, whether it be driving down the road or visiting your favorite neighborhood, my goal for, through this message is for you to see them in a little different light, from a different perspective, remembering that actually all of them were initially designed to point us to the light of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I hope you do Christmas up big. I would encourage you to do Christmas up big. And you can define what that looks like for you in your house. Christmas is a wonderful time of year as we celebrate the birth of our Savior. But I'm really, really burdened that especially some of us in this culture, if we're not careful, we'll forget why we do Christmas up big. You see, we don't do Christmas up big just because of our culture, but we as believers do Christmas up big because of Christ. And so what I want to do in the next few minutes is to tell you the story of light as it appears in the Bible. 
Actually, it's the story of light from the beginning of time as we know it until the end of time as we know it. And so today I'm going to give you three truths about light and one application. Three truths about light and one application. Let's go ahead and dive into the story of light. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 2 gives us a good summary of the story of light in the Bible. Isaiah 9-2, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. We're going to come back to that in a moment. But verse 6 and 7 says, For unto us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time and forever." The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. What is the story of light according to the Bible? Again, there's three truths. Here's the first one. The first truth is this. Our world can be a very dark place. Our world can be a very dark place. In the Bible, the word darkness refers to one of two things, usually. It refers to either evil or ignorance. Now, in the Bible, when it refers to evil, it means that the world is filled with evil and the consequences of evil and the consequences of sin and all the suffering that goes along with that. If we look back at the birth of Jesus, what was taking place in the world, historically, what was written in the Bible even about the time of the birth of Christ, we see that the world was filled with violence and injustice and in all sorts of abuses of power. The world was filled with homelessness and refugees fleeing oppression. It was filled with racism and families getting ripped apart. The world was filled with bottomless grief just like today. So the world at the time of Jesus was filled with evil, but it was also filled with ignorance. This idea of being in the dark or living in darkness is a Bible metaphor that just simply refers to the fact that sometimes we in the world are ignorant to God's desires for us or we're ignorant to why there's so much evil and suffering in the world. Maybe we're not knowledgeable of the biblical story. But in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 2, the verses that we just read, it said that the people were walking in darkness. Now, in context, it's easy to understand why they were walking in darkness if we go back one chapter to Isaiah chapter 8. If you're taking notes, you can look in Isaiah chapter 8. Starting in verse 19, it tells us why the people were living in darkness. In that context, the people were going to psychics and magicians instead of God. Isaiah 8.19. Isaiah 8.21 tells us that they had a contempt for the word of God and a contempt for the will of God. In Isaiah 8.22, Isaiah makes an interesting observation. It says that they looked toward earth for their instruction. In other words, they were walking in darkness because they refused to let in 
the light, the revelation, the knowledge of God. Now think with me for a moment. Why is the world walking in so much darkness today? Why is the world such a dark, uh, evil place? Well, the answer today is the same as it was in Isaiah's day, is that so many refuse to let in the light, the revelation of God. Some look to government more than God. Some look to the market more than God. Every one of us are tempted to look at technology more than God. We think that perhaps our intellect or our innovation are going to somehow get us into a better state and even at times earn favor with God himself if God exists. I recently read an article in the New York Times that was talking about the meaning of Christmas. And anytime this time of year when I see something about the meaning of Christmas, I want to know their perspective. And the New York Times says, the meaning of Christmas is that love will triumph and that we're going to be able to put together a world of unity and peace. In other words, what this writer is saying is that we all have the light within us and we're the ones who can dispel the darkness of the world. We can overcome poverty and injustice and racism and violence and crime and evil, they claim, if we work together, and if we can somehow pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, we can overcome all the evil and injustice and suffering in the world. And so I'll ask you, do you think that we have the capability in and of ourselves to overcome the evil and suffering and injustice of the world? Boy, it's certainly a neat thought, and it's, it's inspirational thought, but the problem is it's absolutely impossible on our own. I want to read you a quote in a moment from one of the first leaders of the Czech Republic. Uh, his name, if you have a name like this, Vaclav Havel. If you have a name like Vaclav Havel, you deserve to be quoted in a sermon. This particular leader was the first president of the Czech Republic. He had a unique vantage point from which to peer deeply into both socialism and capitalism. And he was not optimistic that either by itself would solve the world's greatest problems. He knew that science, unguided by moral principles, had given us the Holocaust. And he concluded that neither technology nor the state nor the market could save us from nuclear conflict, ethnic violence, or environmental degradation. Then he writes this. I think this is good. Pursuit of the good life will not help humanity save itself, nor is democracy alone enough. A turning to and seeking of God is needed. The human race constantly forgets that he is not God. Boy, it's so true. It just seems so true that it's so easy for us to forget that. I would encourage you to download the app, the Bible Center app. There's a number of notes in the app that we're not going to be able to cover uh, today. There's actually, I think, 42 verses about this point alone. I've tried to trace in the notes the theme of darkness from uh, cover to cover in the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation. And so I would encourage you to download the app and get the notes. And we see that 
darkness has always been a part of the world since Adam and Eve sinned. We experience darkness this week in our community through the loss of Officer Cassie Johnson. Many of us saw that in the news. And just to think that here this Charleston police officer goes on a, uh, what she thinks is just a parking violation and is shot, loses her life. The darkness in our community over the last 48 hours has, has been almost, it's almost impalpable. You can, you can touch it, you can feel it, you can sense it. But we've experienced a certain sense of darkness really over the last year, if you think about it, in the pandemic. Throughout the pandemic, there's been a lot of good things that have happened and good things and ministry opportunities. But let's be honest, this has been a dark year. I went back and looked at, at a, uh, a graphic that I had shared about a year ago, uh, just celebrating, wishing everybody a happy 2020, a happy, happy new year. Boy, had we only known. But you know, I think about the darkness of 2020. It's, it's not just that it created darkness, but I think in many ways it just revealed what was already there. I read an article this week by Eugene Peterson, and he writes this. He says, there's a sense in which catastrophe doesn't introduce anything new into our lives. It simply exposes the moral or spiritual reality that already exists, but was hidden beneath an overlay of routine, self-preoccupation, and business as usual. Our world is a very dark place. But thankfully, the story of light doesn't end there. There's a second movement to the story that I would like you to see. Number two, thankfully, God pierced the darkness with a baby born in Bethlehem. Thankfully, God pierced the darkness with a baby born in Bethlehem. Between the two testaments of the Bible, there's an Old Testament and a New Testament. Between the two testaments of the Bible, we find that there's a 400-year period of darkness. In other words, the last a chapter of the Old Testament was, was written 400 years before Jesus appears on the scene. And so many will refer to that, many historians and theologians will refer to that to a, a period of darkness. But God pierced that darkness with a baby's cry in a manger in Bethlehem. Summarizing human history, William Berry, or excuse me, Wendell Berry, the great poet and author, he, write, he wrote this, it gets darker and darker, and then Jesus is born. In Isaiah 9, 6, he says the people, or verse 2, he says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And so again, today we're talking about light, but why is it that we needed the light? The answer is back what we already talked about, is that the people were walking in darkness. Now Christmas is a very sentimental time. I love Christmas. We, we just put all of our ornaments on the tree last week, and uh, it's kind of one of those things. We just make sure that everything's right. We put on Christmas music, and I look forward to doing that as long as the kids live in our house. We, we get the ornaments, and Caden's got some new ornaments this year, and we're putting them on the tree. There's something sentimental about Christmas, 
But if you think about it, the roots of Christmas aren't sentimental at all. Christmas isn't an optimistic view of life, but it's a realistic view of life. Christmas isn't designed to say, cheer up, if we all pull together, we can make the world a better place. No, the Bible never counsels indifference to the forces of darkness, only resistance to the forces of darkness. But Christianity does not agree with the optimistic thinkers who say this, we can fix things if we try hard enough. Nor does Christianity agree with the pessimists who see only a dystopian future. But the message of Christianity and the message of Christmas instead is this. Things are really, really bad. We cannot save ourselves, but someone came to save us. That's the message of Christmas. I love what Tim Keller writes about Isaiah chapter 9. He says, Jesus comes as the light because we are too spiritually blind to find our own way. Thankfully, the light dawned upon us. Now, if you're taking notes, this is something I never really thought about until this week. But in Isaiah chapter 9, in verse 2, when it says the light dawns upon us, it dawned upon me, pun intended, that the light didn't come from within us but the light came from outside of us and came to us. In other words, we could never even reveal God to ourselves. God had to reveal himself to us. It did not come from within us, but it came from outside of us. Verses 6 and 7 specifically tell us in Isaiah chapter 9 where the light came from, who the light was. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I love the description of the child. The child is, first of all, a wonderful counselor. Now, we may think of, we all have, many of us perhaps have been to see a professional counselor, and I thank God for the ministries of professional counseling, but, you know, you've probably been a counselor in your life more times than you may have realized. No doubt many of you have counseled a child, or you've counseled another family member, or a friend, or a coworker. There's something about going to someone who's been through what you're going through, and there's something just comforting. There's something wonderful about being with someone who actually can sympathize, empathize with your plight. And that's what Jesus is for us. He's a wonderful counselor. Jesus was born in a manger. Therefore, we have something that no other religion can claim. You have a God who understands you from inside your human experience. There is no other religion who has a God who has suffered, a God who has had to endure loneliness, a God who has been courageous, a God who knows what it's like to be abandoned by friends, to be crushed by injustice, to be tortured, and to die. But Jesus, the child, the light of the world, has been through all of this. 
And he's not just a wonderful counselor, but he's mighty God, everlasting Father. When you think about Jesus being everlasting Father, mighty God, this isn't just someone that you can choose to like or not like. This isn't someone that you can say is he is, the Jesus is inspiring, he, but he's just a person who makes me want to live a better life. Either the Christ child is who he says he is, all of God, or he is nothing of the sorts. I love Isaiah 9, 6, where it not only says the child is born, but it says a son is given. You know, the tradition of Christmas lights not only pointed to Jesus initially, but even the tradition of exchanging gifts, the roots of exchanging gifts came about early in Christianity to celebrate the gift, the gift of the child himself. And so I'm all for exchanging of gifts and giving people, the people that you love, something to show them that you love them. But let's remember as we give gifts that the reason we do that is to point us, to remind us of the greatest gift that was ever given, Jesus Christ himself. You see, the good news of the gospel is a gift. It's not something you can earn. You see, God created all things, but sin broke all things. But Jesus came to save all things, including you. Jesus wants to transform you. Jesus wants to restore you. Yes, this world is hard. Yes, this world is full of death and destruction and darkness. But in the new heavens and the new earth, God wants to restore in some way or another. God wants to restore everything that you've ever lost and all so much more. John 3, 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It, he gave his baby boy in Bethlehem that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus died on the cross, was buried and rose again, and he offers you a gift. He's forgiven your sin. He's washed your sin away. He paid for your sin and for mine. And he offers you forgiveness. But it's a gift. All, but you must receive it. There's something about receiving a gift that's humbling if you think about it. I used to wonder as a kid, why doesn't everyone just receive the gift of salvation? And God offers this gift of forgiveness, this gift of righteousness, why doesn't everyone receive the gift? And then you get a little bit older and you realize, it seems like, it seems like at least in my heart, pride gets bigger. Pride gets, pride gets uh, it just influences so much more the older that I get. You know, sometimes there are some gifts that are hard and humbling to receive. For instance, let's just say that a friend gives you a gift and, and that you open it up, you take the bow off, you take the ribbon off, and, and it's a book. And so you flip it over and you look at the cover and it's Dieting 101, right? That would be a humbling gift to receive from a friend. Or, or, or you unwrap the ribbon and you take the paper off and you look at the front cover and, and the title of the book is Overcoming Selfishness. That would be a hard book to receive, right? Essentially, if you do receive it and you say thank you for the gift, you're essentially admitting that you're fat and obnoxious. So 
it's humbling to receive something more realistic. Most of us have never had that happen, but something a little more realistic. And maybe you've been through a financial hardship, and, and, and there have been seasons in my life. I can remember specific people in college particularly that would, that would help me to seem like at just the right time. Maybe you've been in a place in your life where someone helped you in some way financially. You know you needed it. You know that you couldn't get by without it. But a friend or a family member reached out and they helped you. There's something humbling about receiving that kind of a gift. But there has never been a gift offered that makes us swallow our pride to the depths that the gift of Jesus Christ requires us to do. Christmas means that we are so lost that we are so unable to save ourselves that nothing but the birth and life and death of the Son of God could save us. To accept the free gift of salvation, we, we must admit that we're sinners in need of a Savior. Which is why Jesus said, except you become in your heart like a little child, you cannot inherit the kingdom of God. I want to encourage you right where you sit, right where you're watching this message, right where you're listening this message, will you humble yourself and give your heart to Christ? Will you accept the free gift of salvation that only comes through Jesus because you'll never do it on your own? I could never do it on my own. When that happens, Malachi chapter 4 and verse 2 says that the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its rays. John chapter 1 will refer to this light of Christ that will enter your life. It says in Him, Jesus was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness. I pray that that light right now is shining perhaps in the darkness of your own heart as it did in one day. It shined in my heart, and the darkness will not overcome it. The Bible goes on to say in John 8, 12, Jesus said, he spoke again to the people and said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. My prayer is that you'll follow Jesus. John 12, 46, I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. First, second Corinthians chapter four and verse six, for God said, Let light shine out of darkness. He's talking about creation. It's in that whole theme of light and darkness. The very first two verses of the Bible. Paul says that same God who did that for earth made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Jesus Christ. At the end of time as we know it, In the new heaven and the new earth, Revelation 21, 23 says the city does not need the sun or the moon, talking about heaven, to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light and the lamb is its lamp. Revelation 22 and verse 5, there will be no more night in the new world. They will not need the light of a lamp and the light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light. I love the quote by J.R.R. Tolkien as he was referencing ultimately Jesus. He says, Jesus is a light for us when all other lights go out. Thankfully, 
as we look at the story of darkness in the Bible, it was pierced with a baby born in Bethlehem. So the story of light continues. Number three, and lastly with this, Jesus invites us to be light in our community this Christmas. Jesus invites us to participate, to reflect his light in our community this Christmas. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 14 is a famous verse. If you've been around religion or Christianity or the church for any length of time, you've probably heard somebody quote Jesus. You're the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they, they put it on its lampstand, and then it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. If you're a follower of Jesus... Jesus invites you, Jesus invites me to live in a way that declares victory over the darkness. That's one of the big themes of the New Testament, that we live in a way that declares victory over the darkness, that we let God's light shine through us onto other people in our community. Now, I know that the Lord will likely lead you in a way that he may not likely lead me. And so there's a thousand, thousand ways for us to live this out this Christmas season. For instance, the Lord may lay it upon your heart. Maybe he already has to contact Union Mission or Mountain Mission and adopt the family this Christmas. That's a beautiful way to live out the light. Maybe you don't need to call anyone. Maybe there's somebody in your own home or somebody in your own family or, or there's somebody in your own circle of influence that needs help. And you can reach out and be the light of Jesus to them this Christmas season. It's something we're trying to do as a church, not only through our care ministries and our outreach ministries, but our desire is, is even for this campus, the, the campus here in Charleston, for this to be a refuge, for this to be a safe haven We'll be talking more this month about the, the ball fields that we're finishing and the, the bike park that we're working on and the playground that, Lord willing, we're going to be building in the spring. All of that to make this place a safe place for people to come and just enjoy one another and all of God's creation. But there's one particular way that I want to ask you to live out this light, and that's simply this. I want to invite you this Christmas season to bring someone with you to our Christmas Eve services. To invite somebody to come with you to our Christmas Eve services. Maybe you call them, maybe you text them, maybe you send them the link, the link even today. But I want to encourage you to invite people to our your friends and family to our Christmas Eve services. We've got five services this year. And as we said uh, uh, earlier in the service, our desire is, is to make sure that we cap all of our services at a safe number. And so you can actually register for your seat online or on the app. I would encourage you to go ahead and do that today. Again, there's four choices in person and there's one online. If we need to open up that last service uh, to actually be a service for people we're willing and to do that, we're just going to be watching the numbers but at that service, we do a number of things as part of our Christmas traditions. And one of those things is we actually hold up our candles. 
When you arrive at the Christmas Eve service, you have a candle on your seat, and we hold up our candles at the end of the service, and we sing Silent Night. We've done that year after year after year here as a church. And so the reason I wanted to have the candle up in here with me is just to go ahead and give you a little bit of a glimpse. It's this particular candle. From this candle, we're going to light all other candles. And what we've decided to do to emphasize Jesus as the light of the world is every service between now and Christmas Eve, we're going to have this candle lit. And then on Christmas Eve, from this candle, we're going to spread it to all other candles. You say, Matt, why do you do that? Why do, you, why do we hold up the candles? Why is that such a big deal? Why is light such a big part of your Christmas celebration? Well, the answer goes back to our main and big idea. Christmas lights remind us that Jesus is the light of the world. Let's celebrate that light and let's show it to others this Christmas. For more information, visit us at BibleCenterChurch.com or check us out on social media. You can also join us in person for services on Thursday at 7 p.m. or Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m.